Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Oh, well, I'm very excited to be here with you guys tonight, and I thought I would just open tonight with a, a brief show of hands, just out of curiosity. Um, how, yeah, thanks, guys. So participatory. I love it. So, growing up, we were all children at one point. How many of you guys, by a show of hands, would consider yourself a good kid? Like, boy, girl, like a pretty, a good kid. That's Awesome. That's awesome. You guys were not so much like me. So I, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like a bad seed. I wasn't like bad to the bone. My, my problem was I was kind of, I was kind of a lonely kid. Like I had a really great home life and that was well and good, but come school, I had a hard time making friends, you know, and, and, and certain, you know, sometimes what happens to lonely people is they get, they get angry and they act out or they get weird, you know, and like, luckily I got both, you know, so, you know, like, like I, I spent my recesses at a certain age in elementary school torn between throwing rocks at kids because that was the only way I could think of for them to notice me and actually say hi to them, right? And then they didn't really, really, they didn't, they didn't really pick up on that. So I started throwing it at the windows of the apartments next to the school because I'm like, maybe they'll be my friends. They were not. And then <laughs> the, in the other half of the time, I spent staring at other kids playing or in the library with the librarian because she always said hi, you know? <laughs> that sounds really bad. Let me, let me give you another one. So... <laughs> A punishment they had in elementary school at our school at uh, Go Eagles, Tri-City alumni up in here. Um, one of the things they had in elementary school was called red feet. You know, this sounds, this sounds, this sounds horrible. Like, I, I hope that your schools didn't have this. What it was, was, you know, like, like any good elementary school, we had the playground, we had like tetherball courts, basketball courts, the dodgeball, or like the handball wall thing. And then there was just the blacktop, right? And that's where you can do your four square. That's where you can just run around. That's where you can hang out. That's where you can do whatever. But it was like the no man's land, wasteland area of your recess experience. And right, right in the middle, right in the middle of no man's land was a little like island, like a little like palm tree and some rocks. And then they spray painted footprints every like five or six feet around this little island, these bright red footprints. And so the main disciplinary action for a lot of elementary school kids, when you had some kind of infraction, like throwing rocks at kids, um, was, all right, you have to stand on red feet. That means you have five minutes, you have 10, you have 20 minutes where you have to just walk up in the middle of no man's land, in the middle of nowhere, put your feet in the red feet, face forward, and just stand there. And then they'll come get you when your time's up, right? And it's kind of horrible because you're, like, humiliated. You know, like, you're, like, standing there. In the, like, everyone can see you, but you can't really... It's like the Alcatraz of punishments. You're just kind of there, and you can kind of see it from the shore. Um, 
But anyway, they had, there was one card, there was two cardinal rules about red feet. The first one is you had to stay on the red feet, right? Uh, number two was you couldn't talk to people. If you talk to people from red feet, they got red feet, right? And this was meant to discourage people who wanted to still hang out and talk with their friends. Like, okay, now you have red feet too. What they didn't really intend was for me to yell at people to make it look like I was talking to them and then these guys getting punished with me. Um, but I was like, yay, this is friendship, right? Um, no, this did not make friends, you know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So this was kind of my early elementary school experience. And, and one day, th- this whole story is to really talk to you guys about how I met someone. Um, so anyway, I was kind of a little bit disgruntled. I was kind of a little bit awkward and weird and, and disruptive. And, you know, I, I was kind of the last person uh, to be picked, right? Which, which sounds bad, but it's, it's not. It's whatever. You kind of, like, just deal. But, you know, it's like one of those things, like, in basketball, they picked me last because one day when I was trying to do a layup, I started openly drooling on the ball and on myself and on people that tried to block me. And after that, they just didn't pick me because I was the drooler, you know? And, like, <laughs> same thing in class. Like, they're like, dude, that's the kid that drool. Let's not be partners. And so... Anyway, I was kind of always last pick, you know, and in a lot of these classrooms, they try to do even numbers, which is really smart because when you break them into groups, everyone has a buddy, right? So I was always aware of when there was a sick day because there was an odd man out and that was me. And so anyway, we're dividing up for class and I noticed that like, they're like, okay, like we're going to do a math assignment today. So everyone pair out. And I literally don't even look for a partner. I'm just kind of like looking at my toes and doodling in the textbook and kind of just doing me. And literally like, they're like, Dominic, you don't have a partner? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like, no, no, there's a kid right over here. Go be partners. And I was like, all right. And I like stood up, walk over, sit at the desk. The teacher gave us a very, very easy assignment, right? It was essentially like, hey, do like multiplication tables. Yeah, exactly. And there was like, there were six problems, right, on this little, this little sheet. And you had to do four of them in class. And the last two were extra credit that if you wanted, you could do for homework. But they were arranged where it was like the first two across, you had to do. The third one was extra credit. Then the fourth and fifth, you had to do. And the sixth was extra credit, which I thought was ludicrous because you always read left to right. So why not do the first four you had to do, then the last two? Anyway, so this is what I brought into the group. Like, everyone's like, hello, my name is, and I'm just like, dude, we have to go across, like, right? Like, that makes the most sense. And so he's like, no, no, we should really do these four that we're supposed to, because then, we'll, you know, that's what the teacher said. I'm like, yeah, but we should just go across, because that's, like, how it should be done. Anyway, it was a philosophical difference, but we decided to do it my way. And then we got to, like, question four, which means we had really only, we did about three of the assigned four problems, and the teacher's like, that's it. And we're like, oh, well, we didn't finish. And I'm like, well, you have homework. No one else in the class had homework. My group had homework just because I decided to do it my own way. And this infuriated this guy I was partners with. He was like, I've never had homework. He's like, what the heck? Like, and he like shoves me and like leaves the room, right? And I was like, cool, new friend, right? The next day, like, I go business as usual, and this kid comes in, like, scowling at me. He's like, dude, I had homework because of you. Thanks. I'm like, dude, forget you, man. Like, I don't, like, don't talk to, like, whatever. Like, 
And then the day after that, it was just like, I can't believe I had homework because of you. And I'm like, I can't believe you're still here. Like, you know, like, so like, you know, we're like throwing shade at each other. And this just kept going. Like every day, it was just like, I would find this dude on the blacktop and one of us would smack talk the other one. Like, I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe you just did that. Well, anyway, we did this for like weeks to the point where we would look for each other at recess to be like, dude, what the heck? And start fighting. Like literally, you know, and then... One day, we just, we just like stopped, and after we bickered, we just stopped, and he's like, so, you know, we've kind of hung out with each other like every day, and I was like, I know, like, we should be friends, and he's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> and this dude went on to be one of my best friends ever. His name's Jake. I've known him my whole life. He's, he's a groomsman in my wedding. Like, he's just, he's the man. You know, and like, I, like our first month of friendship, I went over to his house. It was like one of the first times I got invited to a friend's house. I broke their $1,000 computer. I broke a door and I broke his brand new $200 surfboard all within the first month, right? And I was like, oh man, let's find out if I'm a keeper. And I was. <laughs> anyway, what the heck does that do with, have to do with desiring the presence? Well, hopefully we're going to find out. So dear Lord, I just thank you, God. I just thank you, God, for your mercy, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we just invite you here. This is the most important part is we just invite you here, Lord. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you to just make us just come alive. So we just invite you, Lord, and just we just say, do what you're going to do, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Oh, what a preamble. Okay, I don't want to make it sound like I was really like, oh, sad, like sad childhood. I had a great childhood. I just adapted to kind of being real awkward. Um, and I just thrive. I'm like the king of the nerds. And so, oh, it's so good. And God is so merciful. So I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about the presence of God right? We're, we're in this revivalist series, and if you guys have stuck around this last month or so, we've had Pastor Taylor, we've had Emily, we've had, we've had these people speaking on, hey, it's a new normal, but it's basic Christianity. It's the basic Christian life. Here's how you do it. You love radically. You love others. You really just press in for it. And for me, when I was thinking of like, what does being a revivalist look like? It means we actually desire the presence of God. And that, that phrase might kind of trip you out. It basically means we really want God to be around us, you know? And like, like theologically, like God is omnipresent, which means he's all, always everywhere, you know? But we mean like his manifest presence. We really mean like when the Lord is like, just like shining his little magnifying spotlight on you and like he just blesses you, you know? We really want more of him. We really want to be more around his spirit and more in line with the things he wants to do. Um, and that's what we're talking about. And when I was thinking about this this last week or two, I was really just thinking of the life of Moses. You know, um, I love Moses. Like some of you guys, I, every so often I lead like the or I co-lead these connect groups that are all about uh, Bible characters. It's one of my favorite things. It's like basic Bible study, but I nerd out and I just I'm so thrilled to really just step in their shoes and ask questions as if I was them. What are you thinking? What would this have been like? How would I have felt when this happened? And I love doing that for Moses. <laughs> He's one of God's big guys. He's, he represents the law of the Lord. He represents like Lord's deliverance of his people. He, he just is such a big wig character. He even sees Jesus during the gospels with the transfiguration. It's wild. Um, 
But I want to talk about this guy because scripture, scripture gives us, like, he's probably top five for, like, the most Bible that talks about this guy. Um, and he has just such an interesting life. You know, from the very beginning, uh, he, he lived at a time where God's people, the Israelites, were in Egypt, basically enslaved by this other bigger nation. And at the time, when he was born, they were actually ordering that all young Israelite boys were killed when they were born. <laughs> And his mom hid him and had this crafty plan and basically sent him in a basket down this river right into Pharaoh's like palace. And anyway, long story short, Moses was actually raised by the Egyptian royalty. He was raised as kind of a de facto prince of Egypt. He was raised and educated as one of the elite ruling body like country guys. But in his heart, he was a Hebrew. <laughs> In his blood, he was an Israelite. He was one of God's chosen people. And so he grew up with this conflict of he was accepted in some ways by the ruling, like, slaver class, but he was part of these people that were mistreated, abused, and enslaved. And he grew up with that conflict. He had a silver spoon in his mouth, but he had a deep connection to, like, these are my people, (laughs) It actually says in Acts 7, when Stephen is retelling the story of kind of the Bible, uh, he talks about Moses, and he says during this period of his life, Moses actually knew that he was supposed to help deliver the people of, of, uh, of God from Egypt. In Acts 7, there's this verse, I didn't write it down, I wish I did. It talks about how he actually, well actually, let's read, let's read this first, guys. If you have your Bibles, go to Exodus 2. We're going to be reading from verse 11 through 15, basically taking you to the point where he grows up in Pharaoh's palace, right? It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit the people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. He says, why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight, the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what he had done, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. This kind of brings his life up to a screeching halt, right? He was saved as like a newborn baby, and he was raised as essentially a prince in this royal culture, right? But he was conflicted, and he was an Israelite. And in Acts 7, as I mentioned earlier, it actually says he was surprised. It was talking about this altercation here. He was surprised when his own people did not recognize that he was a deliverer for them. That's going to become really important in a moment. Because you see, Moses' life had this trajectory where, as far as we can tell, he made his own shots. We know from that verse in Acts 7 that he actually knew that he was going to be used to deliver God's people out of Egypt. But he took it in his own timing and did it in his own way, and he murders the Egyptian. 
And why I think that he knew what he was doing was wrong is, did you catch it when he said he looked both ways? Like, he looked to make sure mom wasn't watching. He looked to make sure the police wasn't, like, hanging out. And then he murders this guy. I don't think that God's plan A is to us to be disobedient to reach his end, right? <laughs> why that's really important is because, not that, not that God can't use our, our sin for his, not, not that God can't redeem things, not that God can't bring us all in, but it means I don't think that God's plan A is for you to achieve the goals and dreams, purposes and roles for your life by disobeying and by sinning and by <laughs> being kind of underhanded, you know? It's really the whole like, well, the ends justify the means, don't they? Not at all in God's kingdom, <laughs> you know? Like the process is the most important point. The integrity and the demonstration of character is the most important point. It's how we love that they're going to know we're Jesus' disciple. It's how we demonstrate his fruits of the spirit, that we're going to be the lights of the world and the salt of the earth. And I think that Moses here fails to demonstrate a very key point, which is, this is what God made me for. I'm supposed to deliver these people. I know what I'm supposed to do. But he does it in his own time, in his own way. And it says he was surprised when his own people didn't recognize him. He was surprised when it didn't work out. He was surprised that it blew up in his face. And the thing is, this happened when Moses was about 40 years old, you know? That's like twice the mileage of most of us in this place. You know what I mean? He was 40 in this life plan that said, hey, this is what God wants me to do. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is how I was raised. This is how I'm going to be used. And one day around 40 years old, he's like, I have a chance to do it. My people, the Israelites are being persecuted. I'm going to rectify the situation. No question. But he resorts to murder. He resorts to being underhanded, to burying it, to making it feel like it's never going to be found out. And the very next day, he gets called out. <laughs> and then the authority finds out. And the people that raised him try to kill him, and he's running. The next part of Moses' journey is he runs into some random nowhere town as like an exile, as a foreigner. And he lives there, he gets married, and he ends up tending his father-in-law's sheep. In a culture where what you owned was so important, the fact that he didn't have really anything of his own was a big deal. <laughs> the fact that he was a foreigner without a place, just being a shepherd <laughs> was a big deal to the man that grew up in the palace, to the man that had a calling to be a deliverer. And he was there for 40 more years. <laughs> it wasn't until he was 80 years old that we had Moses get encountered by God at the burning bush. You guys have heard that story where out of the, like the, the spirit of the Lord descends on a bush and it like lights on fire, but it doesn't burn. And the Lord says, Moses. <laughs> oh, that's a presence moment up in there. But he was 80. He was 80 years old, forgotten in some kind of pasture in the middle of nowhere, working for his father-in-law because he didn't have anything of his own. And that's when the Lord's like, hey, are you ready for me to use you? <laughs> and I think what's so wild about this is what does that do to us? What does that do to the plan for our lives? How do we, how do we deal with that when we see all of this? You know, I want to talk about desiring the presence in the way of, I want to talk about really desiring the Lord, <laughs> really desiring what are his ways, what are his plans, what are his thoughts toward me, toward everyone in general? Who is he? 
desiring the presence is desiring the Lord. <laughs> and desiring the Lord is really, I want you. <laughs> you know? Like, I want you. And how the relationship with the Lord works when, we're actually, when we actually get saved, right? We become his family. We become part of his bride. We have real relationship. But another part of that relationship is lordship. He is our unquestioning leader, lord of our life, which means you call the shots. I want to talk about desiring the presence of God because I want to talk about what does that mean for obedience? What does that mean for lordship? What does that mean for us? Because Moses had the appearance of God's will in the beginning. And Moses had a plan. And Moses knew what the Lord said about him. The Lord said, you're going to deliver my people. Moses said, all right, that's me. <laughs> I'm a deliverer. But he says, no, from here, let me handle this. <laughs> I read it earlier. I, I love this idea that he knew that he was God's deliverer. You know, Acts 7 says before that incident, he already knew that he was God's deliverer for Israel. But it wasn't until the burning bush that he was commissioned as God's deliverer. <laughs> that he was empowered and given the authority as God's deliverer for Egypt. What's the distinction there? It was because <laughs> Moses before was Moses. <laughs> Moses after the burning bush was God with Moses. <laughs> A cool thing about the burning bush, I also didn't write this down. In the burning bush, Moses is passing by, and it's not until he stops and walks into it that the Lord speaks and says, Moses. Why that's important, because he was already desiring the Lord. He was already stepping toward the Lord when the Lord really released and spoke. He wasn't just going to do his own thing. He stops, and he walks toward the Lord. And then the Lord speaks. Then the Lord breathes. And after 40 years of being backwards nowhere, feeling like your dream has died, the Lord says, you are the one I'm sending. And Moses' response is, me? <laughs> Who am I that you should do this? And the Lord says, I'm sending you. <laughs> we see a heart change between 40-year-old Moses and 80-year-old Moses. The 40-year-old says, don't worry, I got this. Clocks a dude, they're dead. 80-year-old <laughs> like, says, hey, you know that thing you've always believed about you? I'm saying that this is who you are. And he says, no, Lord, that's, that's not me. And the Lord says, I'm going with you. <laughs> I'm sending you. I want to talk about desiring the presence because I think it has a cost. <laughs> it has a real big cost. <laughs> because I think that we can, want, we can want to desire the presence in the way that we want the warm and tinglies. We want, to, we, want to, we want to see the miracles. We want to just belong to the Christian clique, you know. We want it. And those are all well and good, and they're great, but it's missing the heart of what's at the core of that, which is when we desire God, we desire God. <laughs> and desiring the presence and going after the presence and going after the nature of who God is and wanting his spirit to show up more and more in our lives will change everything. <laughs> like, I'm trying not to under, like, overstate it. It will actually change everything because what it costs is everything, <laughs> Jesus didn't play any games. He didn't double speak. He didn't try to sugarcoat the sale. He said, you want to follow me? You got to pick up your cross. He says, you want me? You got to lose your life to find your life. 
What does Jesus mean when he says that? He says, like he even says, you've got to be crucified with me. Is he saying every believer jump up on a cross? No, not in the literal sense. But what he is saying is, you want to follow after me, you have to die to yourself so that you can live with me in you. (laughs) Why I'm bringing that up, I know this, this is a little bit scattered, but I think it's, I just go back to this idea that the Lord, like, the Lord will change everything about us. But at the same time, when the Lord shows up and we surrender to him, he actually reveals us. <laughs> we can think, you know, we've heard the stories of like the ex-con, drug dealer, crazy murderer who like gave his life to the Lord. And yeah, that dude really changed, you know, praise God. But sometimes you have someone who's like, like a grocery shop clerk who never really had any big issues, who got saved and he's still that grocery store clerk. But at the same time, everything in him has changed. <laughs> What does that mean? When I say God will change everything, I'm not saying you're going to like be this totally different person. You might still have some of the same interests. You might still do it, but he's going to reveal who you're actually supposed to be. <laughs> he's going to reveal exactly who, what he's made you to do, and he's actually going to empower you and equip you in what you need to get there. <laughs> Moses does some amazing things for the Lord, with the Lord. He actually goes in at the Lord's command and delivers God's people out of Egypt. That's after the 10 plagues and all the, all the crazy, the parting of the Red Sea and leading God's people away into the land of promise. And along the way, I really want to focus on this. This is actually the picture I got when I was preparing the message. It's out of Exodus um, It's out of Exodus 33. It's a conversation Moses is having with the Lord It says, one day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses says, if you don't personally go with me, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Right here. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my own name. This is after Moses has gotten a taste of the Lord. This is after Moses has been rolling in these miracles and leading God's people out. And he has a conversation with the Lord from a place of relationship. He's not a total stranger to the Lord by now. Moses has stacked his life. He's stacked the deck relying on the Lord. But even still, he says, show me your ways. You say you're with me. Are you with me? Will you go with me? And I love Moses' heart at this point. He says right there, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. He says, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go at all. (laughs) 
I know that there's big plans over our lives. I know that you're going to lead me to this promise. We're going to lead these people to the promised land. But let me be clear. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going before you. I'm not. I, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> Are you going to go with me? I love that Moses' heart is, show me your glory. <laughs> show me who you are. Let me understand your ways. You with us is what sets us apart from everyone else. <laughs> and I think the same is true today. The same is true in the new covenant with Jesus. It's you, your spirit is what sets us apart. <laughs> when Jesus says, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth, he says, be the thing that stands up, that stands out. <laughs> be that with me. <laughs> Because the thing is, the Lord fulfills dreams, right? The Lord creates dreams. The Lord creates us. There's probably a reason we have the dreams we have, you know? But I think that there's so many ways to get to these dreams, or there's so many ways to assume we know what the dream looks like. And maybe there's some dreams that are just us, that we're vice-gripping so tight that we're not letting the Lord see what it is. <laughs> Like I almost see a little picture of a little little boy or girl like crushing something in their hand. Like, no, you can't have this. This is mine. And the Lord's almost like, hey, just open it up so you can remind me what that dream was. Like, no, 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 this is mine. This is mine. Keeping this close. Nope. Mm, You can't touch it. You can't touch it because I feel like you've hurt me in the past. You can't touch it because I can't trust that you won't take this away. I can't trust that it'll be the same if I give it to you. And I feel like the Lord sometimes says, it might not be. Do you still trust me? Is it mine? (laughs) If you're mine and if I'm your Lord, that thing in your hand is mine. Are you going to let it go? You know? And so many times that dream is a type and shadow of the bigger dreams in our life, the ones that he's actually called us to. And if the dream you have is something that's achievable, it's not your dream from God. <laughs> Why do you know that? It might look kind of like it. Okay, okay let, me, let me say that again. You want to hear me? If the dream you have you think is attainable, it is not the dream you got from God. (laughs) The dream you got from God is probably the one that looks a lot like that, but has the clause that says, but it's actually impossible. There's no way I could do this. And the Lord says, yeah, that one's mine. You need me to accomplish that. (laughs) Right? What does that mean? My dream, (laughs) my dream is to be really good at karaoke at this one cool club, right? (laughs) My dream is to, it's not my dream, praise God. But like, it might be one of yours, and praise God for that, right? My dream might be that, right? The Lord's dream for me might be that I'm selling out stadiums, right? It's in the same vein as what your dream you think it is, but it's not to the level the Lord has it. (laughs) Do we trust to believe what he has, you know? Moses says, hey, I think I'm supposed to deliver God's people, the Israelites, You know why I think Moses' dream for that was smaller than the actual? Because he thought to achieve it, he had to murder people with his bare hands. (laughs) And the Lord did it by signs and wonders and his presence and favor. (laughs) He still delivered the people. The dream was still the same, but God's version of that dream was way better. (laughs) Where all those signs and all those wonders, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, still testify about what the Lord did through this man. What about other times when people were delivered, you know, 
with murder and things like that, it can go into just some other history book. <laughs> Which one's the Bible? The one where the Lord is the one that uses someone to deliver it. You know? If we desire the Lord, we have to desire him as Lord. <laughs> you know? He's not a bumper sticker. He's not a little club. He's, he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? <laughs> We've heard that before. That one's not mine, but take it because it's good. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So desiring the presence, desiring the Lord, desiring who know, to know who he is, is desiring a Lord of your life. <laughs> and with it comes Eternal salvation comes rewards, comes knowing who you are and being more fully alive than you could have ever dreamed of, achieving things that you never could have dreamed of. <laughs> but with it comes, it is all yours. If this seemed like it wasn't working out for me, if my whole life I had for me and my plan burns to the ground, it is still in your hands. <laughs> and I trust you. And you will still make this come to pass because I'm still following you. My dream is right here, palm open to you. <laughs> it's yours. A couple quick points. We're getting close to the ending here. I just want to talk about a couple quick points that I get out of Moses <laughs> as it pertains to desiring the Lord. The first one is a lifestyle of dependency. I think desiring the Lord means we really <laughs> put it all out there. <laughs> we really need him. Notice in Moses' desperation, he says, you say you're with me. Are you with me? <laughs> Where are you? I need you to show up. <laughs> I need you to actually show up to do the things you've already told me to do. <laughs> but I depend on you. <laughs> the plan I made outside of you to reach your ends doesn't work. <laughs> I need you. The second point is very similar. Understanding lordship. <laughs> For me, I like lordship as his call, his way. <laughs> it means there might be a way that seems right to a man, <laughs> but it's not the way that we should go. It's his ways. Do we submit under that? The next one is remembering our relationship to him. Following a cold and calculating God that is just someone who barks orders is not the God that you serve. <laughs> Praise God. He could have been. <laughs> All-powerful, everywhere, says he's Lord. <laughs> he could have made this a lot worse. Good thing he's amazing. <laughs> Good thing he's after sons and daughters and not slaves. <laughs> you know? When we desire the Lord, we have to remember our relationship to him. We are not desiring someone who's far away. We're desiring the most intimate relationship we'll ever have. And lastly, ultimately, do we want his presence? <laughs> do we want him? The biggest thing that I see with Moses is when he's, when he's up there waiting on where God's going to go. And the Lord says, I'm with you, Moses. My favor is on you, Moses. It's almost to me like he's saying, what do you want, Moses? <laughs> and Moses says, show me your glory. <laughs> and that was the picture I got for this, was like, what is your genie wish? <laughs> right? 
Like biblically, we don't believe in genies just by the way, but <laughs> in the world where we did, you rub the lamp, the blue guy comes out, sounds like Robin Williams, but he says you got one. <laughs> what is your genie wish? You're up somewhere alone with this all-powerful, all-knowing thing. What do you want? <laughs> the heart of Moses says, show me your glory. <laughs> show me you. I want to know you. You say you're with me. I've walked with you before. I've kind of walked with you before. I've kind of heard about you. I kind of know that this comes from you. But show me more of you. That's what I want. And I think Moses maintained a humility when he was at the burning bush to when he was leading an entire people. (laughs) Of God, I need you with me, or this doesn't work. I know this message was a little scattered, but I want to go just back. I just want to end with that story I said at the beginning, because by now you're like, what the heck does throwing rock at nice little kids have anything to do with this? My friend Jake will always be one of my best friends my whole life. That man has showed me more about belonging and loyalty than just about anyone in my whole life. He came into my life in a time where I felt like I had really little, but I felt like I was doing fine. You know? When I had a lot of burrs sticking out, when I broke a lot of stuff, when I drooled a lot, when I was kind of disruptive, when I had no friends, when I was super awkward. And you know, in the beginning, we disagreed a lot. (laughs) We fought about a lot of things. We went back and forth about his way versus my way. But slowly but surely, I, this person that just collided with my life, Slowly, surely, day after day, I got to know more about him until the day I called him friend. And the cool thing about Jake is we were lifers at the school, which means when I really got to know him in fifth grade, I had already known him since kindergarten, but not really. <laughs> like we lined up together. I saw him from over there like, oh, hey, I know, who, I know who Jake is. I know who that guy is. But it wasn't until our lives really collided and I really stepped into like really day by day getting to know who he was and really not hiding and just really getting like the ugly fights out, <laughs> you know, and really being like, hey, this is me. Oh, this is you. Okay, what are we doing? <laughs> that I really got to know him. That I really developed a relationship and where he really became just one of my best friends. <laughs> you know, that it got to the point where out of nowhere, all of a sudden, me wanting to go to him every day to just fight with him became me just wanting to go because it was somewhere to go, <laughs> somewhere to hang out. You know, and it was a place that became warm and it became just an amazing friendship, you know, and I wish you guys could all meet him so you can know just how amazing he is and what kind of friendship we have. But to me, when I was praying, I was really just thinking about him today because it reminds me of this. Wherever we go, the Lord's going to encounter us somewhere in some way through something or someone. Whether we were raised in this culture where Christianity is sort of the backdrop that's sort of forgotten, (laughs) where Jesus is someone we kind of know about with a Christmas story or we have that one relative or we were raised in a church or we found him later, whatever. (laughs) Whether he's that person in our lives and God is a person in our lives that we fight with or have problems with or get into arguments with. (laughs) 
but it's like the more you're around them, the more you find. (laughs) The more you're around them, the deeper the relationship is. And I love that my friend could model this belonging. Moses got to the point where he's just having conversations with God. (laughs) And we could read that in the Bible. We're like, wow, that's wild. This guy's just having a relationship with the God of the, like having conversations with the God of the universe. (laughs) And Jesus is like, that's prayer. (laughs) You know? Just because it was on a mountaintop somewhere doesn't mean that you don't have that exact same access to say, God of everything. (laughs) Who are you to me? Where are you? What are my dreams? What are we doing? There's verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, Old Testament. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. We see a God that says, hey, if you really look for me, you're going to find me. If you really pursue after me, you're going to find me. If you really stop at that burning bush, you're going to find me. If you really yield to me, you're going to find me. But one of my favorite pictures of how the Lord wants us, especially in the new covenant, which means after Jesus did his thing, <laughs> after Jesus thing did his thing where we'd never have to act, like sacrifice again, <laughs> not another animal, but we'd actually just have to say, Lord, I'm yours, Jesus, because of what you did. This picture is out of Revelation 3. It's Jesus talking to a church. It says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Our Lord, our God, Jesus is not someone who wants to be hunted down where we have to give everything just to, just to try to see what he kind of looks like. <laughs> He's a God that says, all you have to do is open the door. I'm already here knocking. <laughs> I've made a way for you to know me. You desire me. I'm already right here. Just say, yeah. <laughs> just say, I'm in. He stands at the door and knocks. The coolest thing about desiring the presence, desiring the Lord, is that it's reactionary to him already desiring us. <laughs> Jesus is already there. He's always there, standing at the door and knocking. Saying, if you just let me in. If you just let me into your life. If you just let me into your situation. If you let me into your relationships, your finances, your struggle, your dreams, your goals, your family, anything. If you let me into that thing that you never talk to anyone about. If you let me into your loneliness, your bitterness, your heartbreak, your anger. If you just open the door, I will come in and eat with you as a friend. So I just want to I just want to pray for you guys. If you guys can just bow your head. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. We just thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, God. All around the room, in just your own way, if we can just really invite him. If you want him, just invite him. 
If you want him, just say, Jesus, I'm right here. Maybe for the first time in the while, I sat in a chair and things slowed down enough for me to hear you knocking again. (laughs) Maybe this isn't your first rodeo with the Lord of the universe. (laughs) But maybe he still managed to get on the other side of that door. But I feel so strongly that tonight I'm speaking to a group of young people that want their heart's desire to be, show me more of you. (laughs) Give me more of you. Give me your promise. (laughs) Give me your love. Give me your protection. Give me everything you have for me. So right now, I want to encourage you guys with your heads bowed all around the room. Yeah, we're just going to go for it. (laughs) Everyone's heads are bowed. If you've never invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, (laughs) if you've never opened that door and said, I need someone who I can trust in. (laughs) I need someone who is constant and who is good in this life because I was not meant to do it by myself. If you want to follow him, if you want to desire him, if you want to be desired for the rest of your life by Jesus, (laughs) for the first time ever, I'd like you wherever you're at just to raise your hand. (laughs) Everyone's heads are bowed. If that's any of you, I just want you to raise your hand. Praise God. I see you guys. All right, you guys can put your hands down. Now I want to talk to the next group of people who... Maybe you shut them out for a little while. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not as severe as all that. But maybe we've tried to make the goals for our lives, our goals for our life (laughs) when it should be his goals (laughs) for this life. We walk together. So if you are really feeling a tug for just a renewed desire to do it his ways in his times with his provision (laughs) that you want to say, I'm all in again. I want to let you in all over again. (laughs) I'm tired of spending so many nights eating dinner, trying to understand a cold and separate God, and I'm ready to have a dinner with a friend, Jesus. (laughs) If that's you guys, if you really just want to say, Lord, I want to do this better this time right now, (laughs) I want you guys to go ahead and raise your hand. That's incredible. Thank you guys. You can put your hands down. That's amazing. For all of you faithful people that actually kept your eyes closed, God bless you. (laughs) Just so you know that there was a good portion of hands raised for both of those. (laughs) So right now, I just want to, all around the room, I want us to all pray this together, regardless of whether you raised your hand for point A, point B, or didn't raise your hand at all. (laughs) We're a family now. Just, Just repeat after me. Lord, I just thank you for pursuing me, for caring about my dreams, 
more than I care about my dreams. For being big enough to hold all of me, all my life, all my dreams. And God, tonight, I repent. I'm sorry for making this life about me again. And I'm ready to desire you as Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit to be in me right now and forever. And Lord, my future is open wide for you and me. So God, right now, I just thank you for the courageous men and women in this room. God, I thank you for my family. Oh, for the first timers, God bless you and welcome to the best thing you will ever do. (laughs) Welcome to the last night you will have that dinner by yourself. (laughs) Welcome to the last time you will ever (laughs) have such a stunted view of your dreams for your life. Welcome to the new normal. Welcome to being desired every day for exactly who you are. (laughs) Fights and all, warts and all, bruises and all, scars and all. Welcome to the first day of being called lovely for all of that. Welcome to the first day of being chosen (laughs) and actually receiving it. And to all of you guys who just said, I want to do this better now. I'm back in all the way. God bless you guys for desiring the Lord who has always desired you. (laughs) Thank you for renewed intimacy. Thank you for opening that door again. Praise God for you. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.